welcome to The Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. Title of my message today is Yes and Amen. You know the scripture says that um, in, in Deuteronomy 28 and then James also echoes it in the New Testament that anyone who doesn't fulfill the entirety of the law is placed under a curse. while knowing that nobody could fulfill the entirety of the law. And in spite of the fact that even if you kept all of the law, you couldn't be saved. But if you, had, if you, were, if you kept all 622 and you broke one, it says you were guilty of all, and therefore you were under the curse. And so the last word of the Old Testament is the word curse. The last word in the book of Malachi which closes the Old Testament. Malachi 4 and 6 that's the last verse of the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament. The last word is that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That's the last word in the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is based on doing. And if you don't do, you are cursed. The last word of the New Testament, Revelation 22:21. It's a good place to start. Revelation 22:21. Put it up. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. What's the last word of the Old Testament? If you don't do it all. What's the last word of the New Testament? Because he did it all. Curse because you can't do it all. Amen because he did it all. Choose your covenant. I, I, I choose amen. I, I, I choose amen. Your word is yes and amen. Yes, son of man. Yes, son of man. Yes, Oh, come on, give God praise in here. Hallelujah. Praise God forever. 
I'm, I am going to hit you with a lot of scriptures today. I will do everything I can. It's not a promise to not be too tempted by some of the scriptures. <laughs> because usually I have what I believe I'm supposed to teach. But then as I'm trying to flesh stuff out, I come upon some juicy bone that I... Ah, ah, I'm going to dig into it. So I'm going to try and not dig into it so much so I can just get to what I'd like to share, which is yes and amen. Um, subtitle, if you like, Standing on the Promises. Yes and amen. Subtitled, Standing. What key is this? A flat. A flat. Who mean B flat? Scope tone. Standing on the promises of Christ, my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest. Shout Emmanuel and sing standing no shout on the promises yeah, of God. Top again, standing on the promises, standing on the promises of Christ, my King, through eternal ages. Let his praises ring glory in the hearts. Ooh, who feels what I feel? Shout and sing. Ooh. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing. Oh, stand. Oh, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, I'm standing. I am standing. I am standing on the promises of God. Second verse. Stay in a promise that cannot fail. Standing, don't shout. Promises that can not fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word. By the living word of God I shout. In a Kambano Mokos, Shandabaga Dadhala. Woo! Do that verse again. Standing in the promises that cannot fail. Standing. Nano Mekoso Vele Demeno, Shapakaro Bandis. Epokore Pamano Lopo, Soparandekes. Emindulu Paka, Te Sibano Korebedes. Elindimikuse pakapala embrukande shapare na modokose 
Next verse. Standing on the promises, I stand. Standing in the liberty where Christ makes free. Standing Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord Stand Bound to him eternally Those people saw something They saw something Overcoming daily with the spirits of standing. The last verse, as loud as you can, stand. I shall not fail. When I remember his promises, I shout hallelujah. I when I remember his promises, I shout hallelujah. My hope 
and firm foundation. He never let me down. Oh, no, no. I put my faith in Jesus. My call to the I'll rest 
on his unchanging grace in our faith as opposed to every other faith is the fact that our faith is hinged on the hope of resurrection. Our faith is essentially a resurrection faith. There's a lot of religions that believe even traditional religions in our country that believe a great deal in incarnation and reincarnation. Somebody died. I saw them in Kaduna. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very convinced it's the person that died. <laughs> our faith is resurrection driven. It's a resurrection faith. When I was sharing with you guys not long ago, I think it was in UTG. I, I showed you how that was what got Paul into trouble. It was series two, right? Series two. Paul got into trouble not for preaching Jesus is Lord. Not even for preaching that your sins are forgiven. That was not the issue. I mean, it's, it's a cool thing to have your sins forgiven. And for the Israelite Jew who had spent all their life trying to obey the law, by itself... The forgiveness of sin without their effort would have been good news. Should have been good news. Until you introduce the element of resurrection from the dead. That was the contention. And so we hear Paul in Acts 23. Paul is at the Sanhedrin, right? If I go from verse 5. The council, the religious council of the Jews. Consisting of those who were far you see. And those who were sad, you see. Yeah, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, the priests. Then Paul said in verse 5, I did not know, brethren, that he was, in, he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. 
6, this was because they had accused him of insulting the high priest. Their high priest, who was not Paul's high priest. Paul said, I did not know he was the high priest. It's not because I believe he's the high priest, but because I believe the Bible says, don't insult people in authority. Does that make sense? But when he, Paul, now perceived that one part were Sadducees, one part of the council, and the other part Pharisees, he cried out into, in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. And it is concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead I am being judged. That's my crime. It's not preaching the gospel. It's not even preaching Jesus. It's insinuating that Alexander will be raised from the dead. Because he will. Acts 24, 14 and 15, quickly. I said I will show you a ton of scriptures. Not a couple. Acts 26, 5 and Acts 24, I beg your pardon, 14 and 15. And then we'll go to Acts 26. Acts 24, 14 and 15. This is him before um, Felix, I believe. But this I confess to you, um, that according to the way, which they call a sect. So I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, 15. I have hope in God. Pay attention to the word hope. I have hope in God, which they themselves accept. Both the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes and teachers of the Lord, the priests, they all accept. Hope in God. Yeah, we ain't got a problem with that. They also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead. Both of the just and 26. This time around, he's before Agrippa. And he repeats the same thing in verse 5 and 6. 26, 5 and 6. Acts 26, 5 and 6. Same thing. Over and over. That's his, that's his argument. That's what they're coming against him with. They knew me from the first. If they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now, I stand and I'm judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. Colossians 1.5 Ah, you see some things today. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Hope laid up for you in heaven. Doesn't mean that heaven is the hope. The hope currently is laid up for you in heaven. That the hope is waiting for you in heaven doesn't mean you have to go to heaven to receive it. But currently the hope is I've started. Because I don't like calling a scripture and not explaining it to you. Because when time you hear, but the Bible says hope is laid up for us in heaven. And then you say heaven is not the goal. Something is laid up for you in CBN. Doesn't mean you have to go to CBN to collect it. CBN, we have to pay it out. Pay to receive it. So it's laid up for you in heaven. Doesn't mean you have to go there to get it. Because if, I mean, make sense? Okay, so it's laid up for you in heaven. The hope, laid up for you in heaven. Hebrews 6 and 1. Hebrews 6, 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, I'm explaining to you that our faith is a resurrection faith, right? Let's go into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, or faith towards God. Keep going. Of doctrine of baptisms, on laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead. You see it there. It's a cardinal point of our faith. 
what happens. And I, I, I taught somewhere that whether we like it or not, the single largest question in the heart of any human being is what happens to me when I die? That's the truth. Argue with your ancestors. That is the biggest question in the heart of every human being. What happens to me when I die? You wish and hope you think you can control what happens to you when you die. Choose the climate conditions of your corpse. Where we're going to bury you. How long you will last before you rot. Once you're in the grave, that's it. You ain't got no control. Hopefully you gave him control. Because that's when that control matters. <laughs> Philippians 3.10 Our faith is essentially a what? Resurrection faith. Uh, Philippians 3.10 I beg your pardon. Yes. That I may know him and the power of his. So you see over and over I can show you numerous scriptures that show you that the emphasis of the gospel is resurrection from the dead. Not necessarily forgiveness of sins. Don't join the bandwagon of gospel professing believers. Sons of God running around saying, I'm a New Testament believer. And all their revelation of the gospel is forgiveness of sin. That's elementary. It's so basic, it's embarrassing. It's so basic, it's embarrassing. You're still tossing and turning around and frolicking with the fact that your sins are forgiven. Dude, move on to perfection. Move on to perfection. There's much more to the gospel than just the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sin was a necessary precursor to salvation. Our, our gospel is driven by the fact that men rise from the dead transformed and one man proved it. Does that make sense? That's it. Men rise from the dead into an incorruptible, glorious life that is eternal and has the exact nature and quality and substance as God. And that's that person in the holy place at the right hand who did it first. As with him, so with us. That's the gospel. So you not see Paul hammer over and over and over and over on the forgiveness of sins as he does resurrection from the dead. That means in this earth, what we have is a contentment. You know how Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. But then I add, if you understand this, what you didn't have on the earth is a dissatisfied contentment. Godliness with contentment with dissatisfaction. Because if our faith is a resurrection faith, and that quality of life will far outweigh this one, then even though I'm content in this world, I'm looking forward to that world. So I'm content, but not satisfied. Does that make sense? So we have a dissatisfied contentment. Because what is to come is better. Right? So we're holding on until we lay hold of. Make sense? Hebrews 6 and, th and 18. Hebrews 6, 18. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie as his word 
or his promise and his oath. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge. That's what salvation is. Or that's what forgiveness of sin is. Fleeing for refuge to lay hold of the hope. That's why it's deliverance. Yeah, that's why forgiveness of sin, a femi, is deliverance. Is being redeemed. Yeah, ransomed from somewhere. Taken away so far that you cannot be ever be threatened by what you were delivered from. That's fleeing for refuge. That's why the writer will refer to when he says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower and are safe. We who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope. Does that make sense now? Some things are not abstract, there's always something guiding them. This is why our bodies groan because there is a hope. So our bodies, we're not satisfied with this and our bodies can't even cope with it. Romans 8, 22 to 25. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Eagerly waiting because we're not satisfied with this eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our bodies for we were saved in this hope can you see that but hope that is seen is not hope for why does one still hope for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we eagerly wait for it with perseverance so creation is groaning. We ourselves are groaning. Because we have a hope. So our hope is in what? The resurrection. Uh, our hope is in the resurrection. Our faith is in Christ. Our hope is in His resurrection. Right? Because you have faith in the person and you have hope in the promise. <laughs> yeah. You have to believe in the person and believe in the person's capacity to then be able to hope for what the person says he can deliver. <laughs> so hope is linked to a promise that has been pledged to you that you can lay hold of only because you have believed in the person and therefore his capacity is not in question. Does that make sense? So now if Abigail Arok gave me a check for a million dollars right now, I will be troubled. I know, I know scripture says, do not be troubled. <laughs> but I will be extremely troubled because I will feel like if I dared step into the bank they're going to look at the check and say hey, give me one moment please and the next thing you're going to see you know me with EFCC guys and a red red you know high vis high vis suits and jackets and they're like you know pastor with church member to come I don't have faith in you for one million dollars Therefore, any hope I placed in your ability to give me a million dollars is baseless. 
Does that make sense? But if someone like, you know, the elder, a delegate, to say, I'm going to, delegate, I'm going to give you a million dollars. Um, we, by virtue of capacity, we can start to understand and have faith in the person and his ability to do what he has promised, which I then start to hope for. That's the difference between faith and hope. Even though they work together, make sense? But they're, they're different. Faith is in a person who he says he is. Remember faith consciousness? What he says he can do. Hope is now in what that person has said or promised to do. So you hope in a promise. Hope is expectation. Elpizo in the Greek. E-L-P-I-Z-O but pronounced Elpidzo. Elpidzo, that's hope. It's the same word translated trust, interestingly. Yeah, same word. Elpidzo. You hope in a promise. You know, somebody walks out and says, I'm going to give you an iPhone 14 Pro. You look at the person and you're like, okay. All right. All right. And then sometimes you're responded with answers like, well, when I see it. Does that make sense? Why have you said when I see it? Because you don't exactly have faith in the person. So you don't handle the hope with so much expectation. Make sense? Because you're like, ah, okay, when you, when you deliver, we shall see about it. So faith is in a person. Hope is in a promise. Our hope, therefore, is in the resurrection because our faith is in Christ. Does that make sense? Christ is the progenitor of our faith. He's the repository of our faith. And he has risen. Successfully. <laughs> and he's still alive. Interestingly. Because Lazarus thought he resurrected. Until suddenly, according to the time of life, he died again. Can you imagine having the privilege or misfortune of dying twice in this life? <laughs> it depends how you look at it. Because scriptures, the, what is the scriptural order? What is the scriptural order? It is appointed unto men. <laughs> are you supposed to die? Once. That's the natural order. So that's why I said either misfortune or oh, bless the person. Look at it. You died once. They brought you back to life so you can die again. Sir, you did not enjoy resurrection. You are proof, sir, that this human life is a failure. Lazarus wasn't brought back to life as anything more than a type and a shadow on the one hand and an anti-type on the other. One, men can be brought back to life but she, it wasn't given to you. We just raised you back from that your death into your same life as proof that we have power to raise people to, from the dead into another life. But I didn't give you that other life now because this is happening on this side of the cross. So Lazarus actually doesn't have much advantage. Died twice. 
twice in this life. Twice. A couple of times. <laughs> oh, <this. laughs> died a couple of times. Talith, Jairus' daughter, died a couple of times. The widow's son died a couple of times. Dorcas, Tabitha, died a couple of men. What a tragedy. Died twice. Only one person has died, risen, transformed, and stays alive. In his glorified. He has proof of him being alive. He's in you. What other, what other proof do you need? So when that kind of person tells you, I'm going to bring you back to life. So we have faith in the person and we have hope in what he has promised to do for us. Does that make sense? Our hope, the entirety of our hope is hinged on the resurrection. Ours is a resurrection faith. That's when we'll all be made perfect, right? Now Israel, I put here, Israel enjoyed conditional blessings tied to their moral obedience. And that was sad. But it was a, it was a token of what was to come. If you, you will. If you don't, there's a token. We, we have the blessing. And therefore, we have or have access to the blessings. Do you understand that now? We have the blessing, and therefore we have the blessings, or therefore we have access to the blessings. We have the hope, and then we have hope. We have the promise, and then we have promises. And we have the promise, and we have promises. Are you here? So our hope is twofold then. That's what it means. That's what it means. Our first hope would be what? Resurrection. Which is our primary hope. Yes? Primary hope. Jesus has received it. And he prayed to receive it. Or shall I say he worked to receive it for us. We are not praying to receive it. Eternal life, resurrection, why not? He has prayed. He is interceding and we saw last week that he is the intercession. Because he is the sacrifice. But look at this, look at this, look at this in Psalm 16, 8 to 11. Jesus, I said, walked for it. <laughs> prayed for it. Psalm 16, Psalm 16, 8 to 11. I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. Look at this carefully. My flesh, that's my body, also will rest in hope for you. Will not leave my soul in Sheol. The place of the dead. Hades in the, in the Greek New Testament. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. I don't need verse 10. But go to Acts 22. So this is David speaking. Right? 
David speaking. Acts 2, in 22, Peter now is speaking. This is Peter now, strengthened. Remember from last week? When, when thou art strengthened, strengthen thy brethren. Because I, I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And this is first, Peter's first act of public ministry post-cross. Post-cross and post-denial. Right? And he's saying, men of Israel, I'm going all the way through to 28. Hear these words. This is, hear, this is Peter. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death over him. Because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord. Hold on. David says concerning him. Who is him? Jesus Christ of Nazareth, a man attested to God, not to you by God. By his predetermined, predetermined knowledge, you, you still killed with your lawless hands. You killed him, God raised him up. Having loosed the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by him. Him, David wrote off. So we keep the subject in, in, in focus. Right? So go back. Him. Of him, David says concerning him, Jesus Christ. David wrote and said of Jesus. I foresaw the Lord always before my, quoting Psalm 16, before my face. For he's at my right hand. That I may not be shaken. Keep going. Therefore my heart rejoiced. Are you seeing this now? This is verse 17 of Psalm 16. And my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover my flesh will also rest in hope. Verse 10 now of Psalm 16. For you will not leave my soul in Hades. Hades now being Sheol. Because Sheol is Hebrew. For place of the dead. This is New Testament. In Greek. So it changes to Hades. Which is what became hell. Give me Luke and James 27. Acts 27, KJV. So this is where that erroneous theology springs from that Jesus went to hell. Because of their warped understanding of hell. We now force this mention of hell into Ephesians 4. What is it that he ascended? If not that, he descended to the lower parts of the earth. We then attach hell to that lower part of the earth as opposed to the place of the dead. Make sense? Okay. So you know that you're not allowed, go back to Acts 2, we're in 27 now, I believe. And you can dream. So you see, head is hell, right? You get it? Now, will you allow your Holy One to see corruption? See 28. You have made known to me the way of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Goes on. Peter continues to make his argument. He said, <laughs> I love Peter's argument here. He says, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you about the patriarch, our father, David, that wrote, basically, the one that wrote this Psalm 16 that said, you will not allow your holy one to see corruption 
and you will not allow my soul rotting. Hades or Sheol. Right? Since you say David was talking of David. But I will have you know that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us over there. <laughs> with us to this day. In other words, rubbing it in their faces, David could not have been speaking of David. Does that make sense now? So, clearly, next verse. 30. Therefore, being a prophet, David, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, David, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on the throne, being a prophet, he, foreseeing this, David saw Jesus. David prophetically saw this and then spoke concerning that his soul, he is Christ. Scripture is very clear. <laughs> very clear. Are you here now? So, Jesus received that, having prayed it for himself and for us. This Psalm 16, which Peter is echoing in Acts 2, is what Jesus was captured as doing in Hebrews 5, 7. And I said he walked, he slept, he prayed to receive what he has now given us freely because our obedience collectively is factored in his singular obedience. Does that make sense? He's the yardstick for righteousness that we've received. By one man. Remember that? Romans 5. The chapter of the one man. A tale of two men. <laughs> Hebrews 5, 7. You see Jesus now. Who? I, I need to find the... I don't want to... I don't like assuming. I like, you know, because not everybody here has always sat under our teachings so i'd like to carry us along as much as i can um from verse five so we know who the subject matter is so also christ that's who we're talking about did not glorify himself to become high priest but it was he god who said to him christ you are my son today i have begotten you as he also says in another place you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, Christ now, right? Whom the previous verse just qualified. When he had offered up prayers and supplications, that's Jesus, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. So Jesus wasn't praying not to die. Because if he was praying not to die, then God didn't answer his prayer. But this scripture says he was heard. So the prayer of Jesus was to not die and we're saying that God answered him. There's a problem. Because he died, sir. <laughs> so the issue is not that he was afraid of dying. It's that he didn't want to stay dead or resurrect like Lazi.
Does that make sense? Huh? Because what was he locking into? You will not allow your holy one. You will not leave my soul in. So he's praying. This is what you... Because me, I came in the volume of the book. The book says, Prophet David said, now it's time for me to die. Don't tell me this is the end. Save me from death. It's different from save me from dying. <laughs> he wasn't saying save me from dying. He said save me from death. And he was heard in that he was saved from death. Are you here now? He was saved from death and was heard. Now when he received the answer to his prayer, he destroyed its power over us. I showed you last week. Yes, last week. About how sometimes because you're reading something after a fact, it can mention something ahead because at the time it's been written, it had already happened. Even though in the narrative being written to you, it hasn't happened yet. Right? So I show you, I showed you just now Hebrews 5 and 7. But go back to Hebrews 2 and 14. You'll see what then happened when his prayer in chapter 5 was answered. Right? Hebrews 2 and 14. Inasmuch then, as children have partaken, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise, as Christ, shared in the same that through death he might destroy. Stay in this. Go back. Go back. Go back. Follow carefully. Chapter 5 says, he prayed to him who could save him from death. This verse in Hebrews 2 says that he through death might destroy. So if death was going to destroy the works of the devil, why would Jesus be praying to not die? Hebrews 5, 7. Go back there. Scripture is very clear. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard. But we see what the death of Jesus did in Hebrews 2.14. He, next slide, himself likewise shared the same that through death, death was an instrument, an agency, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So how did Jesus destroy the power of death? By dying. If he was destroying the power of death by dying, why would he be praying to not die? If it is only by dying that he would destroy the power of death. So he could not be talking about not dying. Because his death was required to destroy the power of him that, you know, of death. And the power of death. Does that make sense? So go back. That is the devil. He received resurrection. He worked for it. He prayed for it. He lived righteous for it. He was blameless for it. He pleased the Lord for it. He fulfills the law and then changed it. So we're not saved because Jesus fulfilled the law, but because he fulfilled the law, set it aside and started a fresh priesthood. You know, I've not taught you Hebrews yet, but don't think that you are saved because Jesus fulfilled the law. Because the law fulfilled doesn't make anybody saved. Yes, 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 yes. 
Do you understand what I just said? If a man fulfilled the law, all of the law, kept it blameless, could it save him? Why would Jesus keeping the law save you? Nobody is justified by keeping the law. Galatians 3, Romans 3. So he kept it so that he could be on right moral standing to set it aside. And install the priesthood with the law by which he, the priest, saves you. And this is 201 or 301 for some of you. For some of you, it doesn't even make any sense. And I don't blame you at all. Depends on where you came in. Yeah, because you know, we can walk away and assume that it's because Jesus kept the law you are saved. That's a problem. Because Jesus kept the law as a man, not as God. And no man keeping the law can save himself by keeping the law. deal with that when we come home and explore Hebrews. But he couldn't have come, broken the entire law, treated it with levity as though it didn't matter and change it and become a priest of a different order. No. He did everything the law required of a man. Ask the Lord, have you finished now? Have you got anything on me left? By me, I mean me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, you have anything? Yes, Is there anything else you require? The law was like, no. It's like, get out. He sets aside the first that he might... So, so that's it. You have satisfied everything you want from man. You have gotten it. Are you happy now? And then he establishes the one that saves. Of which he is the high priest of our confession. I love God's word. Saved you by it's good to know the word properly. Because somebody will hold you to task and say, but you are the one that says the law cannot save. And it's a salient argument. We're not dummies because we're believers. Do you know sonship is the height of intellect in the earth? Hey, sonship. Sonship is the height of IQ in the earth. If you grasp the fullness of your sonship in the earth, that's superior living. Your processing goes to a whole other level. Your ability to process. Once you're able to link all of scripture together and see yourself in the volume of the book. In the eyes of the sun. Because you'll be these little nuances that you miss. And somebody will ask you. Someone who's intellectual. Who has read your Bible back to forth 50 times. You haven't even finished Psalms. And you say, but you, your Bible says... Therefore, we know that no one can be justified by the works of the law. But now you're applying, you're implying that Jesus, and you are saying he is not God when he was on earth. Jesus, a man. Because I also have a problem with you if he died for you as God. Now, your Peter says, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, a man, a man, a man, a man. A man attested to you by God. Born under the law. 
your Bible says in Galatians 4. Verse 4. In due time. It's born under the law. And then he then says in Matthew 5, I think 17 or so. Do not think I came to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And then I, he fulfilled it. And then you're saved. That's cheating. That's double standards. You start to scratch your head. <laughs> like an iPhone, a friend. <laughs> you understand that now? So he fulfilled it to set it aside and create and enact the new priesthood. It is the new priesthood that saves. Everybody say it. One, two, go. It is the new priesthood. Yes, because that priesthood is the priesthood of the new covenant. It's in that new covenant that he remembers sins no more. Yeah, old covenant, your sins were keepered. Keepered. We cover it for one year. Two. It's waiting for you next year. Waiting <laughs> for you. Taking away happens in the new covenant by the new priest. Amen. That's the promise. That's the blessing. That's the hope. First Peter 1 4. Are you learning anything? First yeah. Peter 1 4. We have come to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Do you understand what reserved in heaven means now? For you, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith, we are kept for salvation. Ready to be revealed. You are kept for salvation. God has saved you, forgiving your sins, giving you righteousness to preserve you to receive salvation. We are kept for salvation. Reserved in heaven. That's why I said to you earlier, you don't have to go there to collect it. It's being kept there. For, it will come to you. Now, if you are being, if your inheritance or your hope is reserved in heaven for you to go there, Revelation 21 and 1, says that heaven and earth is passing away. And then it talks about a new heaven and earth. And it mentions you have no business with whatever the new heaven is. And I saw, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth. Now, where are you going to be, oh heaven-bound Christian, when the heaven is passing away? Because all there is to these spaces are heaven and earth. We're talking in spatial terms now. Heaven and earth. The terrestrial celestial when both of them simultaneously it's not, it's not phased such that earth will go will manage heaven to replace it you know cascade you know <laughs> you now now bring heaven you know then earth will, simultaneously spontaneously synchronously heaven and earth where are you going to be Oh, heaven-bound Christian. You have made heaven. The heaven you have made is passing away. Where are you going to make? <laughs> because we told you in scripture that he made us to sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ. You ignored in Christ. You are chasing geographical location. 
Because the heaven that the believer is sat in is not spatial. It's positional. The heaven that the believer is sat in is not in terms of space. It's not in terms of geography. It's in terms of position. Sat together in the heavenly places. In which are in. The heavenly that matters is the one that is in. Christ. (laughs) Not the geographical address. Does that make sense now? Christ. Our location changed. Attention. Change of location. He's the location of the place. But heaven and earth, you know, I, I, I don't understand how we missed this heaven and earth business when it was prophesied to Isaiah. The passing away of heaven and earth and the replacing of heaven and earth with a new heaven and earth was prophesied to Isaiah. Isaiah 65. It, it would interest and amuse you like it did me. I was like, whoa, okay. I read all this before. Isaiah 66 is one of my favorite chapters of Isaiah. But Isaiah 65, 17 to 19. Isaiah 65, 17. <laughs> See, right there. What does God tell Isaiah? Read everybody. Want to go? Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Keep going. Uh-huh. Verse 19. Revelation 21.2. Start from verse 1 again. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth passed away. Also, there was no more sea. See verse 2. Isaiah 66, 22. Isaiah 66, 22. Look at this. In passing though, but it's heavy. He says, for as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. Now you can fix it on, so shall your descendants and your name remain and miss that crucial line. For as the new heaven and the new earth which I shall make, quoting 65. So it's never been hidden. Now we just know send. He always said he would create a new heaven and new earth. He said you forget what the old one was like. You yes, will not remember it. It will not come to mind. Yes, and I will create or recreate Jerusalem. Don't forget what we're talking about. If we can make it through to the end. Yes and Amen.
Always. Always promised it. It's not random. And it's always been there, like I always say, hidden in plain sight. That's the first, I was saying our hope is twofold. The first hope, resurrection, eternal life. Jesus paid for it, prayed for it, walked for it, qualified for it, entered it. So have we. It has to be by the one man's obedience. It has to be by the one man's. I refuse to enter the day of the Lord on my terms. Even if I can enter, I refuse. It will be a travesty. It will be an aberration. It will be, it will be an insult to everything God claimed he did in Christ. It's not for me to celebrate I made it. It's for you to give me answers. I enter on my terms by my own work. Excuse me, what did Jesus do? What did what Jesus did do? <laughs> Those are two crucial questions. What did he do? Okay, yeah, this is what he did. Now, what did what he did do? Was I a mirage or was I a farce or was it? What was it? So how do you explain clear scriptures by the obedience of one man? How can I be responsible for entering when I wasn't responsible for coming out? I thought this was between Adams. What is my business in it? I'm not the firstborn of anything in this kingdom. In this kingdom, I'm secondborn. My mom gave birth to me firstborn. That's her problem. That has no bearing on the kingdom. In the two kingdom dispensations, there are two firstborns. The first Adam, the last Adam. This whole thing is between two Adams, two firstborns. And none, of, none of them apply to me. I'm just an unwilling, unfortunate beneficiary of the first. And a fortunate, blessed beneficiary of the second. So if I didn't participate, I didn't eat no fruit, I didn't deal with no serpent, I didn't disobey no, why am I having to be called a sinner after the order of Adam? Okay, I agree. It is prototocos, right? It's one person, da, 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 you pass it on to the one person, one, the one person is corrupted. I agree, no problem. Then you now give back to another Adam. The Adam now, I was not there. You called him, this Adam did not only eat of the tree of life, this Adam is called the tree of life he fulfills all the righteousness he ticks all the boxes crosses the I's and dots the T's <laughs> does it all again I wasn't there I didn't pray for him to come and die for my sins if I didn't even know I was a sinner I didn't know what sin was then he comes, he does his thing, and then you now tell me, I am born into him, I am born of God, and therefore whatever is his is mine. You see, that's fine. That's all right. It's consistent with the fact that I did nothing to end up here. So why do I have to do anything to end up here? What is good for the goose? I did nothing to be a sinner. Why are you trying to make life complicated and tell me I must do something to receive and keep my salvation? Well, I did nothing to receive and lose. 
I did nothing to receive and lose. It wasn't on me. This ain't on me. Let the two Adams deal with it. Let me the best Adam win. And the best Adam already won. Hold on, excuse me. Why are you calling Jesus firstborn? If he's standing there and that same Adam is still coming into his territory and messing up his produce. He has brought sons into glory. He has fallen to the ground and died like the corn of wheat. He has brought forth fruit. And then that old Adam is still coming into his new vineyard. It means that Adam is more powerful than me. This one, we should all be worshipping Adam. Including you, Jesus, should be worshipping Adam. Mm-hmm. How fake Jesus is that? Savior of the world, you cannot save us from Adam and keep us away from him. <laughs> but not our Christ. In him, everything God demands of they that believe is complete. In him, in him, everything God demands of they that believe is complete. That's why Paul will say we are complete in him. Who is the head of principalities and powers. Tells the Colossian church, we are complete in him. Colossians 2 somewhere, we are complete in him, 9 or 10. Find it. We are complete in him. In him. You are complete in him. Very important. Very important. It's, it's done in him. There's no different standards. And I know I get animated whenever I say this, but because it's in, that's how it is. That's how it is. You must be aggressive with the particulars of the gospel. It must be. The charlatans can be louder than us. be louder than us. We didn't. That's why whenever I'm, I, I, I divex. Whenever I get I divex. How can I not have had anything to do with Adam? Nothing. Gave birth to me. He says, in sin, my mother conceived me. How manage? <laughs> How manage? You now explain to me, okay, see, Adam, the principle of the prototype, which makes absolute sense. We have no problem with it. Okay, the first one was, mis- was messed up, right? So everything that comes from the assembly line is messed up because the mold has been messed up. So there cannot be a good one when the mold is bad. So everything that the mold produces will be bad. If your Samsung iPhone had mold in the factory has a chip and you're pouring silicon in it, in that mold, every phone that comes off will have that same chip in the same place because the mold, the prototype has that damage. Does that make sense? So, we agree. Makes absolute sense. Alright, okay. So yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I can't argue that. I'm a sinner. I didn't need to have participated in it. I inherited a nature that had nothing to do with me. Because God created one and that one was supposed to replicate. Perfect. I'm a sinner. Hold up! Wait a minute! Second Adam is in the building. Okay, what did he bring? 
obeyed God, eh? what, what does that have to do with me? Disobeyed God, eh? what does that have to do with me? I, I just had to agree that yeah, it makes sense. And that I am what? Oh yeah, okay, yeah, I can see how. Uh-huh. He's obeyed God, he kept the law, lived blameless, became a sacrifice, please God. Okay, uh, agree. Yeah. So, yeah, I follow this Adam. Yeah. Oh, it makes, makes sense. God now jumps this second Adam and starts dealing with me on a personal level that he did not deal with me as when I was under the auspices of this other Adam and his God. Sir, come and sit down here. Let me teach you how to be God. Why are the standards different? Because they are not. So our obedience is captured in his. Mm-hmm. No, we're not performing for. We're performing from. Yes. Are you here now? Yes. That's the promise. We have, we have eternal life. It's, it's settled. We have resurrection from the dead. It's not, we're not praying for it. He prayed for it and he paid for it. Second, second hope. Twofold hope, I said. Second one. Sustenance in this life. This life. So we have seen the first one is the promise. The blessing. Resurrection. Yes? Glorified bodies. Second fold of our hope. Sustenance in this. I said if if he's faithful enough to deliver me in the day of the Lord. To the Lord. He's faithful to look after me in this life. He preserves me in this life until He delivers me. That's where the promises lie in this life. Yeah, the promises, the blessings in this life. That takes me to my text for today. First Corinthians 15, 19. Oh, that was, that was just intro. If in this life only we have hope in Christ. We are of all men most pitiable. Now you have seen this scripture over and over. And you know that it's pointing to what is to come. But pay attention today to the first line. It's not even that. It's not even the only. We have hope in Christ. In this life. Paul's argument was that if the benefit we have in Christ ends in this life, we are miserable. Excuse me. Did you say? I want it. Support. Can you slow down? Let's look at this verse critically. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, 
We have all men miss. Oh, okay. We have hope in Christ. In the please. Sir, that life has been sorted, Abi. We have hope in Christ in this life. I like it. You better take it. It's breaking news. Let's see. Let's see a few translations. Maybe TPT, NLT. Really? Ah, oh, wow. If the only benefit, hear English, if the only benefit of our hope in Christ is limited to this, which is to say, if the only benefit of our hope in Christ is limited to this, so benefit our hope in Christ this life on and you can't dangle a bone before a dog a bone this juicy a bone this juicy that was what TPT let's see the message If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're pretty sorry a lot. And that's not, we agree. But um, couldn't you use some inspiration from Christ for a few years that you're left on the earth? NLT, I mean, genius. You don't want some inspiration in this life that only Christ provides. that is exclusive to sons of God. NLT. Wow. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, eh? So Jesus has sorted out the future hope. Blessed be his holy name. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's, let's go to 2 Corinthians. Let me walk this a little bit. 2 Corinthians 1. I need verse 10, but I, let's go from verse 8. Somebody say in this life. I mean, why would Paul say in Galatians uh, 2? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh. This life. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. This life. This life cannot be a waste simply because you have received that life. <laughs> In fact, that life you have received, you should pipe eternity into time. 
and cause this life to count because of that life. Mm. You should. We're not liabilities on the earth because we're waiting for eternal life. We're just here waiting. You are pilgrims, pilgrims, pilgrims. You're just passing through. No! If you're just passing through, Paul had no rights to have done anything he did. He too should have just passed through and will not hear of him. Don't disturb us. But he came, he made his mark, he shook the earth. And then he's telling you, don't worry, just you're a pilgrim. Just pass through, just get along. Scriptures don't teach that. And the same church is telling somebody, who you are stealing. Stop stealing, go and walk. Meanwhile, a lot of your parents or their parents quit their jobs in the 70s. Because they were told Jesus is coming soon. Yes, I have some, I have some people who are old enough to know what I'm talking about. Land was freaking cheap. Our parents refused to buy. Because why are you gathering worldly possessions, Jesus? Jesus himself got a nice condo in Capernaum. By the seaside. Nice breeze and everything. Huh? There was, there was dynamics in his ministry. It wasn't every time that Jesus was homeless. Oh, foxes have holes, birds have nests. The son of man has no time to play, play his head. But after a while, I mean, there's enough money for Judas to be stealing, right? On a regular. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not here to. Why will he tell them? Oh my God, Luke 19. He tells them, hey, Occupy till I come. Occupy is translated transact. Do business till I come. He called him, I'm going to a far country. Occupy till I come. Do business. Look 19. Till I come. There's hope in Christ in this life. I mean. Second Corinthians. Oh, I tried to be. Second Corinthians. Chapter 1. I need verse 10, but you see, you, so, so when you, you, see, you, see, you see a lot of hope, hope mentioned in the New Testament and it's in regard to resurrection. Because that's the central theme of the scriptures, I've told you. Don't forget that. Resurrection from the dead is a more central theme in the New Testament than forgiveness of sin. It is. Forgiveness of sin is not an issue in the New Testament at all. It's not an issue, it's not a controversy. It's this one. The one the church has refused to discuss. Or teach, or talk about, or understand. But hope is often always referred to with regards to resurrection from the dead. However, that's the major hope. That minor one, I want it. Because it turns out, as the son of God, I can have it all. That's what differentiates me from a slave. And if I can have it all, I shall. I shall. Let me try again. 
Second Corinthians 2. Second Corinthians 1. I need verse 10, but I'll go from verse 8 for context. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia. That was in Turkey. Today's Turkey. That part of where they were was Turkey. All of Turkey was, was run over by the gospel before believers went to sleep and, be, and Christianity took over. That we were burdened beyond measure. See, Paul is, this is Paul talking about this life. Hmm? This life. We were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. It was that bad. Now, according to Bible history, there's a few places in Acts 19 and Acts 20 where Paul is referring to the adversities that he encountered in Ephesus and somewhere else that could be placed in the timeline of this inference. It doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that in this life, the guy was having issues. And that we should not know, stay up there, stay there. We had a sense of death in ourselves that we should not trust, mark the word trust, ourselves. But we should trust in God who raises the dead. Stay here. He was not talking about resurrection from the dead. He, he said, we have issues. Oh. We were buttressed. Okay, you know what? Go back to verse 8. Give me, give me, I don't know, TPT, NLT. Give me, not, uh, yeah, give me a modern translation. We are in 2 Corinthians 1, 8. 2 Corinthians 1, 8. From verse 8, this is what, TPT. Brothers and sisters come to, you need to know about the severe trials we experienced. This is in the flesh. While we were, oh, beautiful. TPT actually says Western Turkey. All of the hardships we passed through crushed us beyond our ability to endure. Real life issues. And we were so completely overwhelmed that we were about to give up entirely. And that might be somebody's position now. Simon, Simon. Put up that text. When TPT, right? We still, it felt like we had a death sentence written upon our hearts and we still feel it to this day at the day of writing. We now, because it's Simon, Simon. This day. We feel it. But see this. It has taught us to lose all faith in ourselves and to place all of our trust in the God who raises the dead. Stay here. But he's not talking about raising the dead. He's leveraging on that bigger hope <laughs> for this smaller hope. They're not dead. They have stuff. They're overwhelmed with stuff. But I trust that if God can raise the and by raising the dead, not Lazarus, <laughs> not Jairus's daughter, not a bishop coming to raise somebody back to the life now, not do you understand, not Peter raising Dockers to life, but God raising Christ into immortality. God can raise Jesus into eternity, into immortality, into an incorruptible body. I trust him in this matter. Listen, the New Testament is not so loud on issues of life because it is loud 
on he who swallows up the issues of life. <laughs> the Old Testament is loud on the issues of life because he who swallows it up was hidden in the pages of the book. The New Testament is not loud on the issues of life because it is loud on he who swallows it up in victory. So once you see he who is our victory, then every issue is subsumed in that he. Why? How dare they insinuate that you can trust God to raise you to immortality when you die? Something you have no control over. God is powerful enough to do that. But you can't get healing. Hey, take healing now. 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 Trust God who is able to raise from the dead. Not, I repeat, not Lazarus. Not raise you back as you were before you died. No, that's when, when the scripture is talking about resurrection. It's not talking about returning to the same life you had. That is not, listen, what, what, we have ref, what we have referred to as resurrection is not resurrection, it's life extension. We recalled you. Isn't that what Hezekiah prayed for? And he pre preempted his death. And then before he died, he was given 15 years. The same difference. Just that one died before he came back and continued. The other one tried to avoid dying and was successful. Life extension until he died again. And he's able to raise from the dead. That was the boast of Paul in Romans 8 now. He said, if the spirit who raised up Christ from the dead. The raising of Christ from the dead changed the game of raising from the dead. Raising from the dead took a different meaning when Christ rose from the dead. He redefined the game of resurrection. That is the, I showed you that in UTG series too. About the power of the gospel. The boast of God. The boast of God. The boast of God. The entirety of the ability of God is that you can die, he can bring you back to a life you never had. And no other deity can even dare to insinuate the probability of that. That's the power of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Salvation there meaning what? Resurrection from the dead into immortality. I taught you. I taught you. That's what, see, I, and I explained to you that when you're talking about, when you're comparing power of gods, the, the litmus test is resurrection. <laughs> can you give them your own very life? Any, there's how powerful a DBR can be. He can extend somebody's life. Call you back. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. I mean, Pharaoh's guys were also doing the same miracles Joseph, Moses' guys were doing. 
So that's how strong in which doctor is. We bring a dead person back to life. Back to life. Sadly. <laughs> Excuse me. That is not a boast. The person that came out to life, let him try and run out this room without using the door. Please let him be, please let him be running. Let him start from there. Because if your boast is, is serious, you should pass through that door and show up in his house and not having used any doors or taken any cabs. No, only our God has that. And if your deity managed to do that and he passes through my house, he will freeze. That, that person. Because power past power is not a joke. So you manage to teleport, you're passing my house, you, you will freeze or burn. So God is able to do that. And God is not trying to convince you he's able. Jesus is all the convincing you need. <laughs> Infallible proof. He's all the evidence you need. What is the guarantee you have that? Look at Jesus. glorified so you don't see Paul talking about people that don't have children or have sicknesses or have that but you see him drawing from that hope for this hope um, I learned ma. I learned to use what Paul used 2 Corinthians 1 we should trust not in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. See verse 10 now. Who delivered us, delivered us from so great a death. And does deliver us in whom we trust. That's the word in whom we hope. El pizzo. Same word. The word translated hope in the scripture is the same word translated trust. And we'd hope that he will still deliver us. Give us another translation. from us. Where were we? We looked at TPT before. Or message. Give us 10. He rescued us from terrifying encounters with death. Physical death. Physical death. Paul came close to physically dying. And did not wait for the say to leave his Christ to die his gain. Uh uh, all die. I die. But he knew assignment not yet complete. I can't die. Not because of not, not, not because I'm afraid of dying, but because if he could give eternal life and glorified bodies, he can save me from dying now. He can. I want to say something. I, know you, I don't know if you guys can handle it. Honestly, I don't think. The, the confidence that you have as a son of God, it's me, Alexander Victor. Alexander Victor. If I'm going to die before he returns, I will know. And I will tell you. 
my last message will be explicit to let you know I'm done. You will know I'm done. And you will mourn my absence, but you will not be shocked that I went because you knew I was done. Now, it doesn't matter how we go. Whether we jam a tree, <laughs> whether we crash, whether we sleep, it doesn't matter to me. You're dying. That's not what matters to me. What matters to me is that, like Paul will say, I fought the fight. I've run the race. Now they let, but he knew. And Paul was not writing that letter from a cross. He was chilling in a house rented in Rome. He lived the end of his days okay. He's in house arrest. And the house arrest said they, they hear what? <laughs> you think he was just there quietly? No. Paul. Paul that jailers were getting converted. Who's not afraid of death? Be celebrating deliverance from death. Because he knew it wasn't time. So he prayed at that time to he who is able to deliver him from physical death because this person has the power to give resurrection life and immortality to men. This one is not an issue for him. It's an issue for him. Are you here? This has just been a good opportunity to destroy the stronghold of the fear of death over somebody here. Lambo Koshe Epoka Pala. We destroy that hold in the name of Jesus. How can you die when Satanus needs permission to touch you? Permission he will not ever get. See, how you know you are not afraid of something is when you talk about it like it's cheese balls. <laughs> ah, somebody became afraid. Why is Pav talking like that? Because death has no hold over us. We are fearless. We are fearless. We are fearless. My elder brother defeated death. So all of you have, what are you feeling like in heaven? There's only one son. We are coming for you. And he too is like, I'm waiting for you. Because he holds it in trust for you. Trust. His joy is bringing many sons into glory. So if God can do that, that's 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 a powerful God. You can't.
can deliver us from wicked and are you getting the flow? Hebrews 13, 6. Hebrews 13 and 6. Hebrews 13 and 6. This is echoing Psalm 118 verse 6. I showed you a few weeks ago. The Lord is my helper. I shall not fear. What can man do to me? Romans 15, 31. I'm just showing you scriptures of the precious promises we have. Hebrews calls them great and precious promises we have. Romans 15, 31. He's saying to them to pray for him that he may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. He was traveling somewhere and he was praying. He had hopes that when the church prayed for him, he'll be delivered from unbelievers and that his service to Jerusalem will prosper. That's hope. That's hope that when the church prays, God will do something. Make sense? 2 Corinthians 1 and 12. Back to that text where 2 Corinthians 1 and 12. Just a few scriptures I'm showing you and then I'll, I'll be done. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and more abundantly toward you. More abundantly towards you. Philippians 4, 4 and 6. And 7, 4. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made to God. I need verse 7. And, that's a promise. The peace of God. That's a big promise. Which surpasses all understanding. Will. Somebody say will. 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 Guard your hearts and minds. Whew, that's a good one. That's a good hope for this life peace of God that passes all understanding constantly guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus Ephesians 3.20 now unto him who is able to do exceedingly according to the power that is at work within us now to him who is able to do you saw how difficult what he was asking God to do for the efficient church was he was asking God to show them what cannot be shown asking God to let them know what cannot be known that you may know the love that surpasses knowledge because every time an impossibility is mentioned the God who is possible is introduced it's a beautiful hope. Hebrews 10, 19 and 26. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. Let me go to that one and just pick the verses I need. It starts to come together, right? Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Help me, Lord, to not get diverted in Hebrews. But by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil. That is his flesh. So the veil that was torn was his flesh that was broken. <laughs> very juicy and having a high priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water let us hold fast <laughs> the confession of our hope look at that let us hold fast the confession of our expectation So even our faith. 
the faith here in question or in view is God's. Hold fast to your hope, your expectation, without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Keep going, we're going to 26. He who promises faithful. And let us consider one another to serve in good works. Keep going. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some. But exhorting one another and so much more, the more as you see the day approaching. The promises of God are yes and amen. First of all, as I finish, the promises of God are in Christ. Yeah? 2 Corinthians 1.20 now we get as we close is when we get to my text <laughs> as we close yeah. I took you through that whole journey to get you to the, so by the time we get to the text I'm done yeah for all the promises of God in him hold on calm down calm down calm down point number one the promises of God are in Christ outside Christ God has no promise for you which means outside Christ you have no hope in God all God's promises are in Christ and it's when there's a promise you have a hope if all God's promises are in Christ outside Christ God has no promise for you and outside Christ you have no hope in God you have no right to expect anything of God outside Christ beyond what common grace delivers who remembers he calls the sun to shine on the just and the unjust you call cause the rain so every human being breathes oxygen and breathes a carbon dioxide you don't need to be saved as common grace does that make sense every human being naturally sleeps and wakes up you know it's common grace you get it okay so that's important the promises of God are in Christ but what is he saying there about yes and amen Go back to verse 8. That's the text and I will deal with that and we're done. You need to go back to verse 8 to understand what led Paul to verse 20. So let me give you a backdrop. Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he planned to go there twice. He planned to go there on his way to Macedonia and then on his way back from Macedonia and he had somehow they had gotten wind of the fact that he was going to come through there twice so they would get a double blessing. Right? And then plans change and he announces in that letter that he's no longer coming. And apparently, you know, I told you 1 Corinthians was a reply to a letter they had sent to him. It's actually his second letter to them. And then in chapter 1 there, he's arguing. Obviously, he had heard that they had, they had complained that Paul said he's not straightforward. One minute he says yes. Next minute he says no, I'm not coming anymore. So that's telling them, he said, no, but I'm not yes or no like some of you think. I'm Yes. Because he that called me is a yes guy. Alright, let's read. Um, give me NLT. or uh, Yeah, let's try NLT. 2 Corinthians 1. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure and we thought we would never live through it. Right? 9. We think you we expected to die. Verse 10. We've gone through this. Verse 10. And learn to rely on God who raises the dead and he did rescue us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. 11. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. 
That's a good promise and a good hope. We can say with confidence and clear conscience that we have lived with a God-given holiness and sincerity in all our dealings. We have depended on God's grace, not on our own human wisdom. That is how we have conducted ourselves before the world and especially toward you. Our letters to you have been straightforward and there is nothing written between the lines and nothing you can't understand. I hope someday you will fully understand us even if you don't understand us now. You can see why I sound the way I sound sometimes. Then on the day when the Lord Jesus returns, you will be proud of us in the same way we are proud of you. Since I was so sure of your understanding and trust, I wanted to give you a double blessing by visiting you twice. You see that now? Keep going. First on my way to Macedonia, and then again when I returned from Macedonia, then you could send me on my way to Judea. You may be asking why I changed my plan then he starts to question them based on the report you had received. Do you think I make my plans carelessly? Do you think I'm like the people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? And if this is not instructive to you, believer, when they really mean no? That's the backdrop. 18. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. 19. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. Do you understand the argument now? He's the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you and as God's ultimate yes. He always does what he says. That's what leads to verse 20. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resound. So the promises of God in Christ, I first told you the promises of God are in Christ. Because the promises of God are in Christ, they are yes. That means if Jesus paid for it, we have it. The promises of God in Christ are yes. The promises of God in Christ are, which are yes, are also amen. You know, amen is one of the few words in Bible language that never, hardly ever changes regardless of language. Amen is from amen, amen in the Hebrew, which is actually a prayer that says, it is so, or let it be so. Translated into Latin, from the Vulgate, translated into Greek in the Septuagint, translated from Greek into Arabic, from Arabic into English as Amen same word and the promises of God in Christ are yes and Amen in other words if God has said it in Christ it is done and I receive it you know why this is so because he is the Amen and 2 Corinthians 1 is not the only time that it mentions that Revelation calls him the Amen Revelation 3.14 Thank you, Father. Revelation 3.14. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen. The faithful and true witness. The meaning of God's new creation. The Amen of God. So when the New Testament ends with Amen. 
who did he end with? It's not random that the last word there is Amen. Done. Christ. All Christ. He is the Amen. Him being the Amen means he's the done. If he's the done and I wrote here, it means if we have it, we can have it. If we have it in Christ, vitally, positionally rather, then it means we can have it vitally. And I'm taking mine. Once you see that amen is Christ, and this is where I'm done, then you realize that amen with consciousness is probably, probably, the biggest and the most potent prayer a believer can ever pray. A believer can just get up. Fixate on God's promises and shout. Amen. You'll just be walking on the street and you'll just say, Amen. And things will change because Amen is not the end of a prayer. <laughs> amen is the prayer. So when the son of God, the believer, consciously says, Amen. You invoke everything God is in Christ according to his will in your life. That means today becomes the last day you will use Amen as punctuation. Or casually, or as merely, merely, the end of a prayer. It is placed at the end of a prayer because it gives expression to the prayer. It is the prayer. In other words, what Amen is doing at the end is, Father, we thank you for this. We give you glory. Da, 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 da. All, of, all, of, all you're doing is just listing the promises. What matters most in the prayer is Amen. <laughs> But you know, we think that what matters most is our words and our words. No, 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 no. It's not it's what matters. The prayer, the actual prayer, is the amen. The actual invocation is amen. The consciousness you have of all God is able to do in Christ is amen. Amen is you looking at everything God has done and saying, yes, it is is so so what you're doing is just walking around and literally letting God's word his precious promises 
wash over you and as you gain consciousness. Amen. The moment you forgive my word, the moment you amenize it, it activates in your life because it, you have shown consciousness of what God promised you. And most prayer is prayed in desperation and frustration. Not in persuasion and conviction. Not in consciousness. But the moment you grow in consciousness and you know he is the yes. So here's how I think the TPT or NLT puts 2 Corinthians 1.20. He says, and through us, through us, Jesus says, Amen. So he's the Amen. But when we say Amen, it is Jesus releasing the energy of yes in our Amen. For all of God's promises, find their yes of fulfillment in him. Right? And as his yes and our amen ascend to God, we bring him glory. So his amen as resounds from us. His yes promises are sorted. But it, the consciousness of the activation in your life is hinged on your amen. So that when you say amen to his yes, and he is the Amen. Give us other translations. You said it, I believe it. For as many, go on, as many as, are, as the promises of God in, in Christ, they are all answered yes. So through him, Christ, we say our. So when we say Amen, we're echoing the position of Christ over God's promises to us in Christ. When we say amen, we are echoing our position in Christ over God's promises to us in Christ. Christ's duty over all God has promised us is yes. As long as it is what God has promised us, as long as it is contained in his will, the position of Jesus is what? It's never yes and Paul argued it. 2 Corinthians 1. I cannot be yes and no when Jesus is not yes and no. So if it has to do with what God has promised me, the position of Jesus to the will of God for my life is always yes. That is a big promise. The position of Jesus to everything God has promised me in other words, I even know what Jesus is praying. As long as it is praying what is written, what is the will of God, then his position is yes. And so my response is amen. And because he is the amen, he is the done of what he is the yes of. So when we say amen, is a powerful prayer. God's promises are in him. Yes. And in him. Amen. Fixate your thought on his promises. Stand on the promises. <laughs> By whose stripes you are healed. Hey, that's a promise. Amen it. Amen it until it is yours, it's yours, it belongs to you. 
He's able to make all grace abound towards you. Amen it until, because it belongs to you. He's able to help you. No man can do anything to you. Amen it until it belongs to you. Think of every promise that is yours in this life, 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 in this life. And consider that the position of Jesus to it is yes. And amen. Yes. And amen. Just give him praise. Lift your hands in here. And just say amen. Just say amen. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. Amen, amen. As you are saying amen, think of God's promises to you in Christ. Think of what applies to you the most. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at while the church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.